my name, like uh, Carmen said, my name is J.R. Favela. I'm born and raised in Amarillo, Texas. I actually just got back, though. I was living in Philadelphia where I was doing my master's degree at Westminster Theological Seminary. I'm working at another Acts 29 church there doing a residency, and I met my beautiful wife, Megan, there. So it's kind of, I'm, I'm back. Um, the now new planting resident at Redeemer Amarillo. So it's kind of like we're cousins. I'm the cousin you never knew you had. So it's really cool to meet you guys. Um, with all that being said, the passage that we're going to be in today is Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. I know you guys have been in the book of First Samuel and Second Samuel, but we're going to take a little break this Sunday and we're going to look at the book of Numbers. And so I'm going to read it for us and then we're going to pray and we'll get started. So here's what God's word says, starting in verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. This is God's word, and let's pray. Uh, Dearly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you that even in the midst of all this craziness, crazy weather, crazy pandemic, um, light, heat that could be there or could not be there, Father, the one fact that remains is you are still good. You still love your people. You're still sovereign over your people. And Father, right now I ask as we gather together to study your word, um, your, your holy inspired word, that um, you'll convict us where we need to be convicted. You'll encourage us where we need to be encouraged, and, and most importantly, Father, we'll fall more in love with your Son, Jesus. Um, I ask that anything I say that's not about you today would fall flat to the ground, and that only um, things that lift you up and exalt your Son would be what we take to heart. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, once again, I am really excited to be here, and, and we got a chance to visit a couple months back, and I got a chance, me and my wife got a chance to meet a couple of you guys and the elders, and and hang out, and it really feels like we're not visiting. It feels more like we're just hanging out with family, so it's really, it's really awesome to be here with you guys. And uh, since we're family, I thought I could kind of share with you what's been on my mind lately. Uh, here lately, I've come to the conclusion that social media, as crazy as it is, uh, is probably one of the most important inventions of our century. You know, if you think about it, social media has not only allowed us to network um, with people across the globe, but it's also created this unique digital platform that not only allows um, groups, um, it allows groups or people to share their lives, you know, their ideas and their thoughts with millions of people at a time online. And I think one of the most unique things that social media has introduced to us as a, as a society and culture is the concept known as a hashtag. Now, now for some of you, a hashtag is this. It's a number sign with an adjective or phrase that goes at the end of a social media post. And when the hashtag was introduced in 2007 on Twitter, the main point of it was not only to help make it easier for us to search for a particular social media post, but it was also meant to be a means by which you could convey the main theme of a social media post that you were posting. And one of the most interesting hashtags that's very popular today is a hashtag called hashtag blessed. See, if you look online on any social media platform right now, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Snapchat, Twitter, you'll see millions upon millions of people using hashtag blessed multiple times a day. So for example, 
You can go on right now, and you can see people saying, um, on my way to church, hashtag blessed. Or throughout the week, you'll see people saying, no, just got out of work, hashtag blessed. Or you'll even see people saying, the Cowboys making it to the Super Bowl this year, hashtag blessed, hashtag probably next year. You know, it's not going to happen. <laughs> but, you know, with so many people conveying that they feel blessed, I think the most logical question that follows is, what does it mean to be blessed? Or, or better yet, what does it look like to be blessed? And the reason why I bring that up is because I believe that our passage this morning very uniquely and powerfully answers that question um, as we read it. So but before we get into that, let's just kind of take a step and, and look at what's going on in our passage. You see, when we turn to the book of Numbers, what we see is that it continues the story of God's Old Testament people, Israel. And at the, book of, at the end of the book of Exodus, we read, we read that you know, God had emancipated His people from slavery in Egypt. And He took them to Mount Sinai where He gave them the Ten Commandments. And even after they messed up by worshiping a golden cow, God still made an agreement or what we would call a covenant with them that He would be their God and they would be His people. And so now we look at this point in the story and, and the God's people Israel are preparing to leave Mount Sinai and head for the promised land. And in the middle of all these preparations, we find our passage. Uh, this prayer that God gives to the high priest Aaron to pray over the people of Israel. Now, we, we really need to pay attention to this prayer because in Old Testament stories, whenever someone speaks, that speech or dialogue is meant to help us understand and interpret all the previous events that just happened. So when we look at this prayer, we see that the understanding of everything that's just happened up until this point is found in the very last verse of our passage in verse 27. Look what verse 27 says. It says this, So shall they, the high priest, put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. You see, this prayer was meant to show the people of Israel that everything that had just happened and even the things that were to come was God keeping the promise He made to their ancestor Abraham in Genesis that He would bless their family line. And if you wanted a simple definition of what blessing is, you could define blessing like this. Blessing is God showing favor towards His people. And, and as believers today, and as God's people today, it's so encouraging to know that we are part of Abraham's family, and that promise of blessing is for you and I too. So the, the main idea of our text, or the, the big idea for this sermon, is very simple this morning. It's this. We are blessed. The big idea for today, I'll say it again, is this. We are blessed. You know, our passage is showing us that one of the underlying intentions of God powerfully and acting in history to save His people is actually to bless His people. That's one of His intentions. And as we read through the passage, we see the answer to that important question of what does it look like to be blessed? And we see that the way God, we see the, what it looks like to be blessed is it, God blesses His people in three specific ways. God blesses His people through His keeping, through His grace, and through His peace. God blesses His people through His keeping, 
through his grace and through his peace. And so this morning, I want to briefly walk through those ideas with you. So let's start with the first one. The first way God blesses his people is through his keeping. And we see that in verse 24. So let's reread verse 24 real quick. Verse 24 says this, The Lord bless you and keep you. See, if we want to understand what's going on in that verse, we have to focus in on two important words. The word bless and the word keep. You see, as we talked about before, blessing could be simply defined as God showing favor towards his people. And in the in Old Testament, the examples you would see of that is things like uh, a good harvest or you know, victory in battle or even a uh, healthy long life. And, and the way that would translate over to us in the 21st century are examples of things like a good return on, on an investment you made or a job promotion or, or the healthy birth of your children or grandchildren. But if we were just to stop there, we, we get the idea that, that God's blessing is wrapped up in the, in the achievement of material wealth or, or success. But if we want to see the deeper meaning there, we have to look at the second important word, the word keep. See, in the original language, the word keep referred to someone guarding or maintaining a garden. If you remember in the book of Genesis, Adam was told to keep the Garden of Eden. And if you read on a little more, the high priests were told to keep the temple. You see, what these people were charged with to do is they were charged with giving whatever it took or giving the materials that were needed to make sure that these places were able to keep going on no matter what was happening around them. You see, the truth that we're reading right now is that God wanted Israel to see that He would be their ultimate source of security in a world that was constantly plagued by calamity. See, Israel was blessed because the God that had emancipated them out of slavery in Egypt was also going to provide everything they needed, whether they were living in the desert, whether they were living as an established nation, or whether they were living in exile. God would be their security. And, and this is really important for us, because although that truth is awesome, that God is His people's true source of security, it's our natural tendencies to look to all the wrong places and things called idols for security. You know, I think uh, the pastor, Pastor Tim Keller, says it best when he says, our hearts, the human heart, is a natural idol factory. And if you want to see the types of idols your heart can make on mass production, just examine your strongest emotions. You know, so I'll, I'll use myself as a personal example. I personally have struggled with the idol of respect. And the way I know this is because I'm the most happiest when people, you know, compliment me on my, on my achievements and my hard work. You know, I'm the most upset when I think people have disrespected what I've done in life and, and all the hard work that I've done to, to get to where I'm at today. And, and I'm the most fearful when I ask questions like, what good am I if I'm not a good preacher or if I'm not a good husband or if I'm not a good friend? You see, all those emotions are me in real time crying out to my idols for help. That's what I'm doing. But see, the problem with idols, though, is that it only takes one global pandemic. It takes one snowstorm. It takes one economic recession. It only takes one argument. It only takes one breakup to prove to you that the only 
thing that idols are good for is to fail you. But the good news of our passage this morning is that true security lies in the hands of the God of the Bible. You see, unlike other religions, the God of Christianity, He's not part of His creation. He's not scared or submitted to His creation. And He's not distant from His creation. In fact, when we read the Bible, we learn that God reveals Himself to His creation through the Word. He sustains His creation, and He rules over every molecule of His creation. You know, I love how Psalm um, 46, 1 through 2, really summarizes this idea. Psalm 46 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way. Redeemer, to be blessed means to be kept secure in the hands of the eternal God who is not shaken by a global pandemic or a crazy snowstorm. That's, that's one of the ways it means to be blessed. But now that we've kind of talked about that, let's just take a step back and, and, and ask, what does that mean for you and I? So, so I have a question for you. Here's the question. What would it look like for you to embrace God as your security? What would it look like for you to trust in the God who's not shaken by any calamity that this world has to offer? Now, I know you can answer that in a hundred million different ways, but I think one of the best ways we can answer this is by simply just taking the time to pray and meditate on God as our true source of security. Now, in your prayer time, Take time to pray and meditate on Scripture that talk about God being the refuge and fortress for His people, specifically in hard times. Now, when you're tempted to run to your idols, when you're feeling, that, that feeling scared, when you're feeling fearful, instead, run to these types of passages and cry out to God in prayer. You know, for example, you could just take the time to pray through a passage like Psalm 46, 1-2. Take the time to, to praise God for being His people's refuge and strength in this time of calamity. Take the time to specifically confess ways you've trusted in your job, politics, relationships, instead of the God of the universe. And then take the time to ask God to help you trust and rest in Him. I really want to challenge you this morning to ask and think and reflect on what would it look like for you specifically to embrace God as your true source of security? Just think about that. Well, see, our passage doesn't stop there. It actually goes on, and it shows us the second way God blesses His people. God blesses His people through His grace. And we see this in uh, verse 25, the second line of this prayer. Let's reread that real quick. Verse 25 says this, the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Now in this beginning part of the verse, we need to pay attention to that very, very first phrase. It says, the Lord make His face to shine upon you. In the original language, that, that phrase referred more to the idea of God giving gifts to His people. But in our text, it seems that this phrase is kind of depicting God looking at His people and smiling. Now, what I think that's meant to convey to us is that God actually delights in, 
cares for and loves his people. Basically, God doesn't look at his people as some type of burden. He looks at them as his treasured possession. just, Just think about that real quick. To be blessed means to know that God actually likes you. How crazy is that? But, but what's so unique about this is that second phrase we read, and be gracious to you. You see, the concept of grace in the Old Testament is a very important thing. In the Old Testament, grace can simply be defined as this. It's, it's God's unmerited kindness and love toward his people. Basically, in the Bible, grace is seen as God loving in and delighting and being kind to His people, despite of the fact that His people have nothing of value to give in return. And, and that would have been a very weird thought for the people back in the day. Because, you see, in many ancient religions, most people believed that you had to twist the arm of the gods in order to get kindness and favor. So they would have to go to their shaman or their priest and they have to do a ritual in order to manipulate their God to give them love and favor. Now, I know that sounds really weird, but if we're honest, we do the same thing. Whether we admit it or not, in one way or form, we try to manipulate God in order to show us love and favor. Once again, I'll use myself as a personal example. A couple years ago, I had to interview for a scholarship that would determine whether I would get to go to Philadelphia to go to grad school. And I remember before I met with the board, I, I would pray to God. I said, God, just show me your favor. You know, give me favor with these people. But throughout that entire week, I, I made sure that I, I listened to Christian music while I was in the car. Or uh, I made sure I was talking very respectfully with my parents. Or even in church, I'd do a little bit of a Holy Ghost hop in worship, you know, just to make sure that, that, that God would lean towards me, that God would, I'd pull God towards me in favor. But what I was really doing was, I was just trying to manipulate God. But that's what's so unique about Christianity. Christianity says that God loves and delights in His people and is for His people, not because we have anything of value to give to Him, but simply because He is gracious. I mean, what can we give to the infinite God of the universe that created everything and sustains everything? If He took a day off, reality would cease to exist. We have nothing to give. But He loves us. He delights in us. He's for us simply because He's gracious. I love how the book of Exodus summarizes and defines for us the basis of our relationship with God. Exodus 32 says this, it says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The basis of our relationship with God is nothing that we can give. It's solely based on who He is. To be blessed is for God to show you His grace. That's what it means to be blessed. So once again, I got a question for you. Here's a question. How would your life look different if you embraced the truth that you can't earn God's favor? How would the dynamics with your marriage, your family, your job change if you believed that you didn't have to use those things to earn anything from God? 
Now, I think that question's hard because we have to also deal with the how. Well, how do we embrace this truth? How do we embrace this truth for it to change our lives? Well, I think one of the main ways we can embrace it is through just simply approaching God differently. You know, instead of thinking and talking to God as if His love depends on what we can give or how we are, instead, approach God based upon the truth that His face shines upon you simply because He's gracious and nothing else. You know, I think the best example I can think of when it comes to this is, is my old roommate, Jason, back in Philly. Um, one night, my roommate, Jason, walked in and he said, hey, man, I, I just got to talk to you. He's like, all right, man, what's up? And he went on to tell me that he was um, in optometry school, getting his grad degree, and, and it was really stressful, and then, you know, his prayer life was suffering, and he wasn't going to church as much, as much and it was just really rough for him in this season. And as he was talking, I, you know, I just threw the simple question out there. I said, hey, man, like, have you prayed about this? And he gave me a really unique answer. He said, no, you didn't pray about it. But the reason why it was so unique was because he was saying, well, I'm struggling in school. Uh, I, I'm not going to church as much. And, I'm, and my, my prayers are so weak, I don't think God would hear me. But what's texts like these give us so much hope because it tells us that God hears our prayers. God is for us. God is with us. Not because we're perfect in our jobs. Not because we're perfect parents. Not because we're perfect in our marriages. Not because we give such strong prayers. He hears us. He loves us. He's for us because He is gracious. Nothing else. I really want to encourage you this morning. That's a life-altering truth. Embrace it. Let it comfort you. Let it encourage you to know that God is gracious. I really encourage you with that. Well, our passage concludes here, and it shows us the last way that God blesses His people. It shows us the last, what it looks like to be blessed, and we see it in verse 26. God blesses His people through His peace. So let's read that real quick, verse 26. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. You know, this verse starts off very similar to the previous verse, you know. May the Lord lift up His countenance or His face or make His face shine upon you. But what's so unique about it is that very last phrase where it says, and give you peace. Now, while our society would define peace as the absence of problems or struggles, the Bible actually takes it a step deeper and gives us something way more unique when it comes to defining peace. When we read in the Old Testament, we see that the word peace or shalom actually refers to the idea of a holistic type of unity in all areas of one's life. And now this is really important for us because while we may work ourselves to the, into the dirt trying to make sure there's peace in our horizontal relationships, you know, with our jobs, with our families, with our relationships, um, the Bible teaches us that all that work is for nothing. It's for nothing because our vertical relationship with God has been broken and, and there's no peace there. You know, we read in the book of Genesis that because of our first parents, Adam and Eve, their failure to keep God's standard because of their sin, we were eternally separated from God and the world was broken. And because of our eternal separation, we are now naturally enemies of God who deserve death. But if you read on in the book, you, read, you see how 
God saw the broken state of our relationship, and he moved to fix it. We see that he sent his son into the world to live the life we could never live, to die the death we deserve, and to resurrect, so that way we could be made right with God and we can experience vertical peace with him. And it's because we have vertical peace with him, that peace overflows into our horizontal relationships. We can actually have peace with one another because we've been made right with God. You know, I think the best example of this, and I know in, here recently it's been a little bit of a, you know, hit or miss example, but the best example is the church. Think about it. How can so many different types of people, different types of people come together from different backgrounds, from different socioeconomic backgrounds, from different ethnicities? How can we come together and not tear each other's heads off? It's because what unites us is not a common um, like, it's not a common sports team. What unites us is the fact that we were all broken and messed up people saved by the same God. That's what unites us. To be blessed is to be made at peace with God each other. That type of holistic peace only comes from God himself. To be blessed is to have true peace. So here's my last question for you guys. Will you embrace true peace today? Will you embrace true peace today? Will you embrace this holistic type of peace that only God can offer? Now, I know when we think about that, the answer to that question is going to look very different for many of us in this room. You know, or maybe many of you here, you don't consider yourself Christian or religious. Or maybe online you're watching this and you're not, you don't think you know, you're too religious. Um, maybe you just came today to check out why we do collective karaoke every Sunday. Um, if that's you, I want to take a moment and talk to you right now. The way you would answer this question is through faith and repentance. It's through admitting of the ways you've rejected Jesus and to admit that it's only because of Him and to trust in His work that He made you right with God. It was to believe that it's only because of Jesus that you could ever be considered right before God. That would be the answer for you this morning. Now, maybe some of you are sitting in the room, or a majority of you sitting in the room right now, and say, hey man, I'm a Christian. I already, I've put my faith in Jesus. I'm all good. Well, hold up. <laughs> I want to talk to you real quick. The way you would embrace true peace, the way you would answer this question, is by remembering where true peace comes from. Maybe you've been feeling some anxiety in your life or some fear in your life because you've been hoping that money or your job or your situation would bring you peace, and that's not really working out for you. The way you'd embrace this is by remembering that true peace only comes from Jesus Christ. You know, me and my wife learned this this lesson the hard way this past summer when we were moving from Philadelphia to Amarillo. You know, moving cross-country is already stressful enough, but moving in the middle of a pandemic adds a whole new level of stress. I mean, I, we felt the waves of anxiety and fear hit us as we made plans and budgets to move from Philly to Amarillo. And we just felt like every day we ripped up the plan and had to start all over because of a new COVID restriction over because of this or because of that. And I remember that it just got to a point right before we moved where I was like, this situation will not ever get better. I don't, I don't know what we're going to do. 
But this text was so encouraging because it reminded us that true peace does not come from the perfect uh, moving plan. It doesn't come from the perfect budget or the perfect situation. It comes solely from Jesus Christ. We were so encouraged to remember and to be reminded that um, although this was a problem, God had solved our biggest problem, the separation between us and Him because of our sin. And if He solved that problem, we were going to be okay. That's a whole new level of peace right there. And I pray that you guys embrace that this morning. So to end, I, I just want to encourage you guys. You see, at the core of our text, at the core of what we're talking about, the core of being blessed, it really is just to have a relationship with God. It's to have a relationship where you experience His, His keeping, His grace, and His peace. But as we just talked about, really, we don't deserve to be blessed. We deserve to be cursed. Because of our failure to meet God's standards, that's our natural, what we naturally get. That's what we naturally deserve. It's to be cursed. But that's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is not just that, that Jesus died on the cross and now you're not going to hell. I mean, that, that's, part, that, that's it. It's not lower than that, but it's way more. It's the good news that because Christ lived the life you could never live, died the death you deserve, and, we, and resurrected and ascended, now we're made right with God and we can say with all confidence, I am blessed. We can say no matter what happens, whether the power shuts off, whether this pandemic lasts forever, we can say all certainty and with all confidence, we are blessed. That's what the gospel tells us. The gospel, lovingly and powerfully, that's the gift of the gospel. So once again, if you don't consider yourself religious or a Christian, I encourage you, put your faith in Jesus. Repent and trust in Him and experience what it actually means to be blessed. And if you have put your faith in Jesus, I just want to encourage you. God has written His name on your heart through the ultimate high priest, Jesus. And now no matter what happens in your life, you are blessed because you have a relationship with the living God of the universe. Redeemer, let us be a people who walk and show the world what it truly means to be blessed. Amen? Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that no matter what happens around us, no matter what crazy thing takes place, your word never changes. The truths in your word never change. And the truth is that you have blessed us. We were separated from you. We don't deserve nothing but punishment, but yet you and your love sent your son to live, die, and resurrect so that we may be right and we could say with all confidence, I am blessed because I have a relationship with the God of the universe. I pray this word encourages your people today and encourages them to confess sin, encourages them to love you more, and most importantly, it would encourage them to share this good news with people who are lost right now. It's in your name we pray. Amen.